afternoon again, church, and um, welcome to our Sunday online service um, here at Ecclesia. Just get, let me just get rid of this screen. Okay. Come on. Good. All right. Good afternoon again, and welcome to our Sunday online service. My name's Bertram, one of the um, pastors here at Ecclesia, and um, it's interesting what this pandemic has brought out <clears throat> in terms of modest goals of many kinds, you know, for everyone. Um, it's it's brought on the need for. The reminder for need to exercise, 10,000 steps a day, 25 press-ups for one good cause or another, um, lose one kilogram a day, raise a thousand pounds for the NHS by walking about one and a half miles by your 100th birthday, you know. What's the likelihood of achieving these endeavors? Well, on the 10th of April, 2020, Captain Tom Moore, then Captain Tom Moore, only had a modest goal to do a thousand, oh, sorry, did I say a thousand? A hundred laps uh, of his back garden by his 100th birthday, just to raise a thousand pounds to support the NHS. Well, Tom hit that modest goal of raising a thousand pounds on the first day. That's it, all done, and Tom lived happily ever after, the end. Uh, no, he actually hit the laps he committed to doing, and um, by that time, his 99-year-old frame said, don't push it, old boy. <laughs> These aren't your army days, so he quit at 100 laps. The end. And he said, and by that time, he had raised 17 million pounds, and people said nice things of him. So that was it. No, not quite. Tom carried on pounding that back garden again. And within a month, had raised over 30 million pounds. And the story goes on. You know, as Pastor Richard said in opening the service, um, <clears throat> there is a world of opportunity out there to dig up and explore for the sake of the kingdom of God. What opportunity is there to use the freedom and the liberties that we have in serving Jesus Christ? Is there any gain from actually seizing such opportunities um, to serve God in his church? I mean, we'll see today from, the, from today's section of Paul's letter that because God rewards faithful servants of the gospel, we must seize opportunity to serve God, seize those opportunities to serve God or rather, serve God at every opportunity. You see, as believers in Christ, <clears throat> just setting up the, 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 the fact that God rewards faithful servants, we will appear before God so that our lives in the body will be evaluated. This need not give us cause for concern because... Um, <clears throat> 
Rather, the intention there is for God to stir us up to live godly in this world. You know, Paul's already addressed this concern or addressed this in the current series back when we're looking at um, the third chapter of 1 Corinthians. For those who don't know, we're we're currently going through a a series of uh, sermons based on Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. And in chapter 3, from verses verses 12 to 15, Paul pointed out anyone who builds on that foundation may use variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, um, and wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. You see, while it's clear from Scripture that there are degrees of reward for believers, it is not to be such that necessitates a crab fight. I don't know if you've, you've, you've heard of this thing about crabs climbing on each other's backs to get out of a cold run as, it, as the heat turns up, keep from getting cooked. We don't need to employ underhanded and worldly means to accomplish anything for God. There is opportunity. Each of us has opportunity to accomplish things for God that will be rewarded accordingly. And that's whether they're good or bad. We're saved, but we can go on to accomplish great things for God. Um, So let's read today's text and then take a moment to pray. I'm reading from uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 9, and reading from verses 15 to 27. Um, I think you have the uh, English Standard Version on screen. Pardon me, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So if you can, just follow along. I know um, I may not pause to enable that get changed on screen or catch up, but just listen for the meaning and read along as well. From verse 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, from verse 15. Yet I have never used any of these rights, and I'm not writing this to suggest that I want to start now. In fact, um, I would rather die than lose my right to boast about preaching without charge. Yet, preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I'm compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. If I were doing this on my own initiative, I would deserve payment. But I have no choice, for God has given me this sacred trust. What then is my pay? It is the opportunity to, it is the opportunity to preach the good news without charging anyone. That's why I never demand my rights when I preach the good news. Even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those 
who are under the law. So, verse 21, when I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. 24. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Father, Thank you for your word that you preserve even to this time, even to this day, um, for this moment that we all get to hear. Even in a day where um, it just isn't church like we know it or church like we are familiar with. There's so many out there doing all things now, making all efforts, seizing all opportunity to serve you. And we pray, we want to be in that number. We want to be part of those who will um, get up, seize the day to serve you so that we may receive reward from you. Guide us even as we do it. Lord, stare our hearts and teach us indeed how to do it in a manner that pleases you, how to do it in a manner that um, considers all, and how to do it in a manner as those who really want to win and accomplish your pleasure. Lord, guide us even as we um, continue in this word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, from this section that we're looking at today, let me just highlight three ways or three points um, in which we must please God to gain his reward. Um, because First one, because God rewards faithful servants of the gospel, we must please him by serving from pure motive. We must please him by serving from pure motive. You know, reading with the benefit of hindsight from Paul's second letter, at least the second letter we have in Scripture, um, and I'm reading in 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 11, verses 12 and 13, Paul decided not to impose any financial burden on the church in Corinth whilst ministering with them. His choice to do this gave them cause for concern, as if Paul doesn't love us. This brother's not receiving support from us. He doesn't care so much. He's not committed to us. Some used the opportunity to regard Paul like that and, and kind of take offense. But Rather than cause the Corinthians to stumble at his ministry by 
Paul seeking or asking them to, um, for financial support, or even creating opportunity for others to trip the same Corinthians up because they could reason, well, Paul collects pay, so he's no different from other preachers who also collect support from us when they come to minister. Um, Paul highlights that. He chooses to serve the church in Corinth like money is not an object affecting his thriving gospel ministry. Remember, he's writing this letter um, at least three years having left Corinth, but he's having a blast of a time serving the Lord in Ephesus, um, not too far away, across about, 200, about 300 miles across uh, the sea from Corinth, but continuing in ministry still. I read, um, Paul highlights that, look, he's not really interested in receiving from these guys. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, just quickly reading there, if I just refer there quickly, he says that um, what he's doing, he will continue to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12 and 13. What I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. In, the, in, the, in, in a couple of, just a couple of verses before that, Paul highlights the fact that he's robbed to the Corinthians. He's robbed other churches, receiving financial support from them whilst ministering at Corinth. Because while he was present with them, them at Corinth, he determined he's not going to be a financial burden to the church at Corinth at all. So for Paul, ministering to the church at Corinth was regardless of money. Money would not be an object for this ministry. He's determined to do that. Don't forget, last week, if you, if, if you um, were following along, and for those who were not, um, who did not happen to listen to last week's sermon, Paul's already established the fact that, look, he has the right to receive financial support from the church. That's not in question at all. But here is a personal decision. Here is somebody choosing to use an opportunity that God has given him to serve the church and choosing not to make money an object and thereby not cause offense to any. So in the first part of, of this um, passage today, we see him saying he's not used any of these rights. If I, if I may use, borrow the phrase Pastor Rob um, uh, mentioned or said, used last week, I know my rights, but I have not used any of these rights. And I'm not writing to suggest that I want to start now. We've read this earlier on. Um, it would rather die by, than lose his right to boast about preaching without charge. Why is this important for Paul? What makes it such a great opportunity for him to serve God? Here is a man who was one of the right people in the eyes of God before Christ, until Christ knocked him off his high horse, metaphorically, on the road to Damascus, 
to get hold of these new believers of the way, as they called Christians in the early in the beginnings of the church, to say that, to show them that, look, you don't come messing around and trying to change the way things have been as far as Judaism is concerned, as far as the law of Moses is concerned. You guys are just starting a new fat fade or, or phase that's going to pass away, and I'm going to make sure about it. But he met Christ. And at the same time, meeting Christ, knocked off his high horse, um, Christ entrusts him with a delicate task. I mean, how do you take out someone who's opposed to you and then give him a delegate task, give him your most important task, most important assignment to handle? That's a privilege. That's special. That's unusual. So for Paul, Christ gives him a delicate task. That's a privilege. He values it. It's, it's precious. Can I ask a question? Is there any of us today who deserves to be involved or to be a part of what God is doing in his church? Think back. Think to the life that we lived. You know the life you lived. You know whether you believed in God or even better still, opposed God vehemently, laughed at those who called themselves Christians and believers and made mockery of them. But now you're involved in serving God. Wow, that's special. That's a privilege. That's a special opportunity and one to value. I mean, what joy, what thanks that Paul is expressing in choosing to serve and be involved uh, in this ministry in this way so that money is not an object. But look at that, the opportunity of being involved in bringing people to Christ, who, of, for people for, of whom he was a sworn enemy. But now here he is involved in bringing people to Christ. From where Paul was, it was a great privilege, contrary to common expectation for him to be involved at all. So, um, but the Lord said to him um, in, in calling Paul, he said to Ananias, who he specifically sent to go to Paul and lay hands on him, restore his sight. But the Lord said to him in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles. Not just before the Gentiles, but before kings and to the sons of Israel. So, if Paul says that's why he never demands his rights when he preaches the good news, great, excellent. You know, as surely as, um, as, surely as the, the truth of Christ is in him, nobody will stop him from boasting about being able to do this, about his choice to do this. People may want to compare themselves and liken themselves to him as though they were doing the same thing. But here's this guy doing service to Christ in an extraordinary way. He raises the bar as far as serving Christ is concerned. In our day, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus, already gets dragged in the mud, doesn't it? I mean, many things get in the way of ministry the glory of serving or being seen to be serving, the gains in influence from roles that are held, 
in ministry, or resources available, access to them, you know, pay from the roles in service. There's nothing wrong with getting paid commensurately. Paul already said this from God's command. I said so earlier. But it's just a case of um, delivering what the role calls for and many temptations to abuse ministry. All these things get in the way. From mega pastors, I can, I can go on. <laughs> but these kinds of things cause people to question the genuineness of motives for service. And they get in the way of even those who are yearning, looking for salvation to come into Christ. Please, can I ask, um, using our roles in service of Christ, we can trip others up by bringing unbearable demands on them as they walk. We can choose to be like the big brother, the ones in the right, who want to show others how it's really done and get in the way of others who, come to, who are looking to serve God. But here's the thing that Paul emphasizes. We are free to serve. We are free to receive God's provision. But, um, and there's nothing wrong with exercising these rights, but as much as it lies with you, how can we choose to serve God or serve the gospel with pure motives? Um, a few pointers just in terms of application for that point. Can we adopt ways, can we think about ways of serving that would, um, would not put the work that we do for Christ into question? Can we adopt methods that really distinguish our service and raise the bar above what's common, commonly expected? What are the motives we have for serving Christ at all? It has got to be to serve, notwithstanding the, you know, the confusion that's created by all kinds of reasons that people have out there for what, peop for what the world thinks or for what others think that um, people serve with, on, with um, inappropriate motives for. Financial reward, recognition by men, a desire to hold power or office. Can we consider how we serve Christ and think of how we would um, serve differently? I mean, this is, not, this, is not, this is not meant to be a singing of the praise for... for uh, my pastors, Pastor Rob, Pastor Ephraim, even Pastor Patrick P. Powell. But my heart truly goes out to these guys for the last 16 years and some. I mean, and um, I really, really appreciate it. I'm grateful to God. I know you can't see what I see here, but I'm really grateful to God that Pastor Ephraim's not here serving today. And there's a whole heap of people who are here just to support the work of the ministry with a, with a great deal of encouragement and great example that these guys have actually laid out for us for years. I mean, those who are local to Ecclesia would probably understand this better. And if you've been with us for a minute, you'll, you'll appreciate that. Now, thinking about service, thinking about um, the ways we can actually serve God faithfully, uh, looking for God's reward, I have to ask a question. We've talked about motives. But then, is there anyone that we cannot or should not 
serve with the gospel or cannot preach the gospel faithfully to, who would they be? If I'm going to be honest and just fess up, sometimes there may be some groups of people that, I, that we think, ah, I can't reach these guys with the gospel. There's, there's just no point even making the effort, you know. I can name groups, you know, because of their convictions or because of their culture or because of their um, disbelief in the gospel or their, their stance against the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know. Can I roll with my old friends? That's another group, again, I'm thinking about. Can I roll with my old friends while trying to bring them to Christ? The answer to that question really is this, and the second reason. Because God rewards faithful servants, we must choose to freely serve God by sharing the gospel of Jesus' grace indiscriminately. Indiscriminately. So, so long as that is what we are trying to do, so long as that's what we're trying to do, we can, of course. There's nobody we can't preach the gospel to. There's nobody we can't preach the gospel to. You know, I mean, just, just a funny thought. I mean, I was reading something and... And um, the, the way the question was posed was, as a pastor, a young guy or girl comes to you who's of marriageable age and, and comes to ask you whether they can, you know, keep seeing this brother or sister while preaching to them, you know, in, in, in the hope that eventually there'll be a relationship that comes out of it, you know. But how do you answer that question? Really? so long as it is that the, the goal, the focus is trying to bring the individual to the salvation that is in Christ. That's the primary thing you're thinking about, you know. We all struggle to share the gospel indiscriminately. I was going to say even the best of us, but who is best at this that doesn't get tripped up by a fallen nature, you know, where we struggle to preach the gospel to anyone, it is evident that one of these things may be true. We may still be enslaved in unbelief and have not accepted the liberating truths of the gospel. What is the matter so great? I mean, you have to ask the question, what is the matter so great that the grace of God, um, the grace of God in Jesus Christ, is unable to forgive if an individual repents, believes in Jesus Christ? Or what is it that we look at in others that gives us any right to look down on them as if we, forgiven and accepted by Christ, are more acceptable to God than they are currently? I can, let me just repeat that. I mean, what is it that we look at in others that gives us any right to look down on those who we find it difficult to preach to or share the gospel with as if we who have been forgiven and accepted by Christ are any better, more acceptable than they are? The only difference is that we have believed the message of the gospel. We've confessed our sin. We've received the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to save us. 
It may also be that we struggle to understand the freedom that Christ has obtained for us as well. You see, we dealt with a few questions earlier on in this series. The Corinthians had questions about whether or not they could eat meat offered to idols. But, I mean, let's not, can't, let's not try going over that again because of time. Um, but what kind of questions do we have when it comes to really trying to respond or answer the question or the charge that's placed upon our heart, the burden on our heart actually to reach out to those who are lost. So, Paul says from verse 19, even though he's a free man with no master, I mean, a, a depiction of the fact that he's not enslaved. People in Corinth would understand that. I gave you some statistics the other day. It's like 300,000 free men and almost half a million slaves in Corinth. So freedom would be an important thing. Even though he's a free man with no master, he's not under compulsion. Nobody's forcing him to preach the gospel. He says, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. He's decided to subject himself to preaching. He's decided to have no choice but to answer the call to preach the gospel. Now, who does he preach to? The Jews. I live like a Jew to bring Jews to Christ. And when I was with those who followed Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Was he bound to it? Was he subject to it? No. He says, even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this. Check the motive. Check the reason. Verse 20. So I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. So I could bring Jews to Christ. And he carries on repeating the same refrain. Verse 21, he did likewise to the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law. And why did he do it? So that he could bring them to Christ. He didn't ignore the law of God, but he obeyed the law of Christ. Now, don't get Paul wrong. He's not suddenly saying here that he can become lawless or that he condones what is sinful or even harmful at worst. Um, here's one account that kind of helps us to see these points that he has just made. There's nobody that we can feel more superior, more important than, more righteous than, that we can't be motivated or think to serve by freely sharing the gospel of Christ to them because of the reward that comes even in doing so. Um, please, if you will, turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, Paul's letters to the church in Galatia chapter 2, um, reading from verse 11. You see, here's, there's an account of, that just really describes this quite aptly. So Peter is among, Paul is among the Galatians, and um, they're having fellowship. Galatians are Gentiles, they're not Jews. They're, they, 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 they're not ones who live according to the Jewish law. But Peter and Paul, they know the Jewish law from verse 11, Galatians chapter 2, from verse 11. They know the law. They know about things that are clean and unclean. They know about things sacrificed to idols, but now they're having fellowship 
And then Peter comes from Antioch. And um, guess what? When he first arrived, he's spending time with the Gentile believers, and he eats freely with them. They probably don't wash their hands like Jews do. They don't do ceremonial cleansing like Jews do. But afterwards, some friends of James came. James, one of the apostles. And Peter, seeing these guys who are, you know, from the big guns in Jerusalem, turn up who are Jews, um, he suddenly just kind of distances himself from the Gentiles and stops eating with them. You just wonder what's going on. Well, Paul says in verse 12, he was afraid of criticism from those people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision, trying to live according to the law. As a result, again, look at what his action did. Verse 13, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy and Barnabas too, Barnabas, Paul's right-hand man, tripped up as well, was led astray by this hypocrisy. Well, what happens? Paul picks up in verse 14. He says he saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message. Now, what's the truth of the gospel message? Verse 16, quickly. You know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what's important. That's what mattered. And we've believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what matters. And that's what makes a difference for those, who, those of us who are believers as well. Now, coming to us, do we, in terms of serving God in this way, in terms of preaching the gospel freely, in terms of preaching the gospel indiscriminately, do we struggle to preach the gospel to those who do not obey God's law, to those who were raised in different cultures, to those who have different ideologies or different worldviews or think that God is just, you know, like a leprechaun and a fairy tale made up in people's minds? Do we decide that because they think differently from us, we can't really stoop low and start talking to them. How, how are we different from they are, from, from the way they are? How are we different at all, essentially? Are we any better? That's why we're Christians. Are we any better? That's why we, we are in the faith. See, we, the reward that Paul's looking for, he's already said, is this so he could bring to Christ those who are under the law. Do we have a desire to please God at all? Do we want to see these people who we find difficult to walk with, to live with, to um, perhaps people who have different worldviews, people who have different religious beliefs or religious convictions, do we want to see ourselves as separate and so we can't mingle, we can't share the gospel? But there you go. There's opportunity to serve God. There's opportunity to please the Lord. And this is the thing that the grace of God makes available and makes apparent to us. And what Paul concludes in this part of the message is this. 
he tries to find common ground with everyone. You see, rather than rebuild the walls that separate us, rather than treat ourselves like we were some religious better-offs, here is opportunity to break those walls down. Shall we blend? Maybe there's an office due and they're going to the pub for a few drinks afterwards. Oh, no, I don't do that. Hello? Where's the opportunity to reach out with the gospel? You know, I don't say these things to condemn, but to acknowledge that, you see, whilst these things may be challenges for us as believers, um, there is where there is opportunity to let the grace of Jesus Christ be known. And so, in bringing the gospel to the world and in bringing the world to Christ, God is pleased. There is opportunity to serve there. So, he does everything to spread the good news. Uh, he says in verse 23, and to share in his blessings. Leading us to ask a question, is there any point to this whole thing other than just trying to be good before God? Aren't we just trying to, you know, stay pure, stay holy? God has saved us. We're born again now. So we just need to try and keep the scorecard clean till Jesus comes, till the bus arrives, till the Heaven Express turns up. You know, and we get on board and then just we're gone. Whew, we made it without a scratch. <laughs> we won't fall or get tripped up. Is it just about keeping form without a particular goal in mind? Is it not just about being saved? You see, the thing is this, and the third point, because God rewards faithful service of the gospel, we must serve God with the discipline to win more for him. With the discipline to win more for him. I tell you what, this is challenging for everyone on every level. Honestly, because traditionally, church might just seem like it's a token thing. It easily is a token thing. It's very commonly a token thing. We've grown up and been raised to just go to church because that's what we do on Sunday, you know. Or we go through some rites from very early on, you know, baptism, uh, we get to church, mommy gives us a few quid and we just put it in the basket. You know, we, we grow up picking up those little, little things. And if we haven't looked into what the gospel is all about or what serving God is all about, um, or even thought deeper about the reward that God gives and the whole purpose of the church, it becomes token and it loses significance. But there is reward. God rewards faithful servants of the gospel. Going on to verses 24 to the 20, 27, Paul raises some key questions. It's like, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. We've read this already. But guess what? They do it to get a prize. <laughs> These guys will be familiar with, with athletics because they had a couple of games going on in that region, the Isthmian Games and the Olympic Games in Corinth, as early as this time Paul was writing. 
They'll be familiar with that. They'll be familiar with boxing as well. Because he says he doesn't, he, he runs with purpose. He's not just, he's not just <laughs> in the gym, you know, just to keep his, keep his cardio good. No, he's preparing for a fight and wants to win, you know. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. You know, I, I, I said earlier on that this pandemic has brought out some modest <laughs> goals. And, and, you know, I told you about Captain, now Captain Sir Tom Moore, you know, following his investiture yesterday. Um, brought out some modest goals. And you really want to um, uh, work in such a way that, yes, there, there, there is reward there's, there's goals, to, there's, there's prizes to be won. Paul, throughout this section, has talked about laboring to win souls. He's talked about laboring to win Jews, Gentiles, those who live according to the law, those who live without the law, and the things that he's done to, you know, putting himself through the paces to see what it's like to be in these people's positions, to be in their experience, in order to bring them to Christ in order to have opportunity to share the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ because he knows there is reward to be had. Um, let me make an appeal as we, as I bring this to a close, make an appeal based on um, a parable that Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 25. The entire parable is in verses 14 to 30 of Matthew chapter 25. The parable of the talents. The parable of a man who, going away, called his servants and gave them portions of his wealth to manage. Portions of his wealth to manage. I particularly want to draw attention to the section where he comes back and after a long time from verse 19 he returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money jesus likened this to the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of heaven which kingdom is it that jesus christ is lord over if it isn't the kingdom of heaven and here he lays this parable alongside the kingdom of heaven to say, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he comes back and he asks the, um, the servants to give an account of how they've used his money. You see, Paul had a trust given to him, a man who was not worthy, a man who was opposed to the church. He has a privilege of being part of those who now are bringing men to Christ. So do we, believer. So do we, child of God. Do we want to be able to give an account to the Lord? What kind is it that we want to be able to give account? Or what kind of account do we want to give? What kind of um, experience do we want that to be when the Lord comes? 
The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. Matthew 25, verse 20. And the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now, I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And you know, this, you, you, you know the parable. He did likewise for all those he had given, given, given um, talents to. And then he came to um, a servant with one bag of silver, came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I, I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those, from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. We have opportunities to serve. And I'm glad for the encouragement that Pastor Rich gave at the um, opening of the service. The opportunities that are out there. They're plenty. They're immense. You know, Captain Sir Tom Moore didn't think much I mean, think about it. 99-year-old man on a Zimmer frame. What can he do? What can he do? Just walk his back garden in laps. And can you imagine? <laughs> Birthday weeks away, talking about doing 100 laps. I mean, just looking at the guys here, Emmanuel can just eat that in, two, in 30 minutes. Done. <laughs> but the man, boy, what, what, what could he do? You might think there's not a lot you can do. You might think, boy, I don't know more than the fact that I'm saved. Praise God, I'm going to heaven. But what can you do to serve the Lord? Can you talk to some old friends about the gospel? There's, there's, there's plenty of opportunity for many things, but hey, look what, look what, that, look what that man did. Like I said, he was just invested yesterday, Captain Sir Tom Moore at Windsor Castle, by Her Majesty the Queen, you know. The guy joked and said, hey, <laughs> if I kneel down, I'll never get up again, you know. Part of his conversation with Her Majesty is still saying that he'll be doing a bit of fundraising for some time to come. I think, you know, everyone loves an inspirational story. But the Lord gives us promise of reward for faithful service. Can we use every opportunity we have to serve him? Don't worry what others are doing. Don't worry that others are in places that you're not. Look at the little that the Lord has given and 
think to use that opportunity to serve him faithfully. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to receive reward from you. You haven't just saved us unworthy. When I think about the life that we have, that I had before Christ, I'm amazed. Why would you choose us? Why would you choose me? I don't deserve it. I don't deserve your grace. But it's grace, isn't it? You're merciful, gracious. And that's only the beginning of what you have in store. It says there are rewards. Wow. Lord, thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the opportunity. We pray, Lord God, that you inspire and direct us in terms of how we can serve you, who we can speak to, considering why we serve, Lord, that we may do all things to please you and receive your reward. Thank you, Father. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.